Good morning. So great to see you guys this morning. I bring greetings from uh, Melbourne, Florida. I had the privilege of serving in the church over there last weekend. Our sister church over there, the Lord was adding an elder to their team locally there. So we are rejoicing that God has raised up more leadership for one of our dear friends and churches that we partner with. Uh, So very grateful. Aaron, thank you for the word. Last week was deeply impacting and meaningful. Um, We've been working through some thoughts. Those of you guys who have been through this series that's dotted the last couple of months, uh, just trying to understand this identity factor for every person following Christ of being a disciple. And, you know, in a world where we're just, we're just inundated with trying to figure out what's, what's life supposed to be about for me as an individual? What am I supposed to be experiencing? What am I going after in, in my life? And then God comes along and finds us, singles us out, and he slaps a label on us. He says we are disciples. And in doing so, he defines so much about us. And so we've been exploring that through three words. We've been exploring the aim of discipleship. We've been exploring the activities of discipleship. There's just things that we do as disciples. And so if you're looking for stuff to do, first look at what a disciple does in the scriptures and and start there. But then there's these, these byproducts of living in the aim of God and absorbing our lives in the activities of God. A byproduct gets created, and that's, that's the aroma, right? Aroma is, almost in every setting, aroma is always a byproduct of something else. Something's happening there that's giving off an, a smell, an atmosphere, if you will. So recently, uh, Gina and I had traveled to see one of our daughters, Grace, had graduated from college in Ohio, and so we had traveled uh, to Ohio to, to be with her for that weekend. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the Cleveland airport. Um, it's not exactly the greatest place to visit. It's not a terrible airport, but it just, you know, it's one of those airports that just hasn't been updated in quite a while. So we kind of made our way through the airport, and I was waiting for Gina uh, to get through TSA, and I was gonna, standing right at the TSA thing. I don't know how you are. I've gotten where I don't like to fly. I do. I just I have to. But the, the atmosphere of an airport, the aroma of an airport, right? It's, it's stressful. It's busy. You know, there's, there's a schedule to keep and you're going to be late for your plane and everybody feels that way and they're pulling luggage and they're bumping into everybody and then TSA is taking too long. Just, it just creates a feel that, is this enjoyable at all? So I'm standing there waiting in the TSA line. I think we're okay time-wise. I'm waiting for Gina to come through and uh, all of a sudden I, I smell something. It's like, Cinnamon. You guys ever smelled the Cinnabon store in an airport? I mean, I don't know. Aaron was talking about walking in the hotels in Las Vegas and the smell that gets pumped in. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's like mental manipulation is what it is. I mean, it's like these guys are pumping out the smell of 
fresh cinnamon rolls in an airport. It's like, you know, that smells distinctly different than everything else going on around here. So I'm just standing there because this is right near the TSA entrance and it just captures my attention and I don't see the Cinnabon store, but I know it's there. And I'm a Cinnabon fan. I love, I love sugary cinnamon kind of stuff. But there's this, there's this thing that's happening. Somebody is back there in the kitchen of Cinnabon and, and they've got some kind of magical ingredients, right? They've got cinnamon and spices and dripping icing full of sugar mixed with dough. Add heat at 350 degrees and everybody in the airport is now affected, right? So I got to say, I love that smell a whole lot more than everything else that was going on in that moment. Now, now here's the reality because, you know, today we're going to be talking about the aroma of joy in the settings of discipleship. Now, what's interesting is that joy, you know, like that Cinnabon store set in the airport, our joy is set in this world. And this world doesn't smell like a Cinnabon store. This world smells like an airport, right? It's busy, it's hectic, it's stressful, there's anxiety, there's conflict, there's mad people, people running late, somebody to blame, somebody's yelling at somebody else, right? This is not just airports, this is, this is life. And by the way, uh, there are too many moments in my life where my life smells like an airport, more than it smells like a Cinnabon store, right? So I think it's helpful for us to be reminded there's something going on in us that produces an aroma. It, it's a side effect. You, you can't aim at joy. You have to aim at something else. And joy becomes a byproduct of that, right? You got to put some ingredients in the oven here, but it's a good place to start. Listen, I'm not sure what your airport aroma smells like, right? You can think for a second, what do I smell like? What's, what's the atmosphere coming off of me, right? It may be grumpy, easily irritated. Maybe you're a control person, a fear person. People get around you. You know, people start bumping into how you got your hands in everything. You've got an opinion about everything. You haven't figured out the reason why you're doing that is because you're scared to death of so many things. And you're trying to control all of them and make sure they all get in line and keep you protected. And that, that smells a certain way, right? It, your inquisitive questions to your children, they, they can smell like manipulation, right? And then if your kids have grown up with you, they figure that out pretty soon. It's like you asked a question, you thought it was innocent, it wasn't innocent. You were getting at something and you were getting at something that came from inside of you, right? So that's an aroma, it's a byproduct of something else going on. But joy is a particularly helpful thing to pay attention to. Jim Johnson wrote an article called Joyless Christianity is Dangerous. He says, are you in spiritual danger? If you were, how would you know? One key sign of spiritual danger is losing your joy. Joy is one of the vital gauges on the dashboard of the Christian life. When the needle dips, when you lose your joy, you should take note. When your heart stops singing, that is a warning to watch your life and doctrine closely. 
And so, if you had a, if you had a joy dial on your dashboard this morning, I'll just ask you real quickly, can you glance over at the joy meter in your life right now? Where's, where's it at? What would you say? Full tank. Better find some joy soon. I'm about to run out. Right. And I want to be really careful this morning and even interacting with this topic. This is a topic that sits so close to the heart of just doing life, right? And most of us in here, the one thing we have in common is that we're all looking for a, a form of joy that's found in the word happiness. And I'm not going to be one of those preachers who makes this giant discrepancy between happiness and joy. Quite honestly, I don't think there's much of a difference between the two of them. Uh, One's got a little bit more use in the Bible than the other one does, but they're both basically after the same thing. We we want this sense on the inside. It's it's well with our soul. And and there's a sense of contentment and adventure and, and, and happiness about our soul. And I recognize that may not be the case for a lot of us here this morning. I don't want this message to sound like, well, it should be. Suck it up, will you? The kingdom of God is at risk. Um, It's interesting to read the Bible and to come across Bible characters that are just bigger than life and hear them describe their lives, right? You read the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in the same sentence, can, can mention suffering and rejoicing at the same time. He can talk about joy that he is eager for others to experience and that he is laboring among the churches for them to experience. And in the same book, described being in a moment where he was personally despairing of life itself as though there was this sentence of death sitting on us. He talked to the the Corinthians in one of his letters to them. He was greatly troubled because Paul had a hard time gaining respect and acceptability amongst the Corinthians. They attacked him. They attacked his ministry. They questioned whether he was effective or not. And so he defends himself a lot in second Corinthians. And he even canceled a meeting to hustle over towards the Corinthians because he was so concerned. And he said there was, there was in that moment, there was fighting without, there was fighting within. He was just at war with concern for what was going on in his relationship Right? And you and I know something about that. Right? We, we get in places where there's this war going on. But he's the same Apostle Paul that within arm's reach of those descriptions, he, the word rejoicing is found. And the word joy is found. So can we be careful, though? This is, this is Paul giving a Reader's Digest presentation. Those of you who are old and I just realized half the room doesn't even know what Reader's Digest is. Um, <laughs> A little magazine my dad used to read (laughs) that summed things up quickly. But Paul is given this quick summation of this this is what it felt like to be doing life. Suffering and afflicted yet rejoicing. Now, before you fill that in, what what do you think that looked like? Do you think every time you engage Paul, he was just this happy-go-lucky, that song, because I'm happy, was playing in the background always. He was suffering, but that's what he felt like. And he was always, hey, come on, I'm suffering, come on. Uh, I don't think so. I think he was a real human being. 
I think when he said, I despaired even of life, I don't think that was a 30-second event. I think he went through a season where he battled with a sense of, this is not going to end well. This is really, really hard. He says, I carry around in me the weight and the pressures of the church. So I think he was experiencing something that really, really affected him. So if you're here this morning and you experience life in a way that doesn't, you don't always look like you got a smile on your face and you're ready to tell the next joke. Now, listen, there are some people in the room. That is how they always look. That's about 20% of human beings and you're part of them. I don't know what it is that you got that the rest of us didn't get, but you're either out of touch severely, uh, which we should be concerned about, or you just got some special grace to where you can just get around rejoicing a lot faster than the rest, some of the rest of us can. But can I just suggest to those of you who are that way, will you stop requiring the rest of us to be that way? <laughs> Please stop coming to our small groups, listening to somebody say, I'm about to open my wrist up and, and commit suicide. And you just slap a verse on it and say, can you be happy? And let's be happy by the time you leave the meeting tonight. Okay, we're going to fix you, make you happy right away. I don't think that's the way it works in scripture. I think joy is a little more complicated than that. I think there are folks that you walk back through Christian history, some of the movers and shakers in the kingdom of God battled with joylessness. Martin Luther revolutionized Christianity. He battled with a lack of joy in his life. David Brainerd, great missionary to the American Indians, battled with joy. William Cowper wrote great hymns and poetry that we benefit from. He battled with joy. Charles Spurgeon shaped the world. This is not a man who could just turn around and say, hey, you got a, wait, Charles, you got a joy problem? And he did. The latter years of his life, he, he wrestled with depression in his life. And I don't think you could just turn around and say, hey, you know, Charles, if you read your Bible a little bit more and pray a little bit more. So can I just not make everybody feel guilty here that if you're wrestling with the issues of joy, the answer isn't simply if you would just do this, then you'd be happy like everybody else is happy. Uh, A little more complicated than that. But a couple of quick things I want to get to today. One, our joy is a high priority for God. Second, there are ingredients the joy that the Bible highlights. And I have joy with a footnote, which I don't think I'm going to get to. I can't imagine I'm going to have time for that. But you can read that section on your own. But let me start with joy is a high priority for God, for us. Your and my experiencing of joy is a big deal to God. He wants joy to be experienced in our lives. Isaiah 56, if you know anything about the time frame of Isaiah's writing, not a happy moment, not good things going on in the kingdom of God, wayward people, disinterested followers of God who could barely even be called followers because they weren't following very much. And God steps into that moment through the prophet Isaiah and says this, Isaiah 56, verse seven, these, right, these people I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. I hope you hear the the God-centeredness of that statement. This, This is more about what God will do than it is about what they're going to do. Although the Bible's never silent about what we're going to do. 
But God will bring, I will do something in your life to bring you from where you are into this place. And what's this place? Well, in this passage is a joyful place, is an experience and a reality of joy. John Piper wrote the foreword to a book called The Joy Project. And he had an interesting insight in the foreword to that. He said, could it be that Christianity is very different than the impressions you have? From your experience? I had the confused notion that I needed to get rid of my desire to be happy so that I could do the will of God. Now, here was someone saying, that's not your problem. Your problem is that you are not passionately committed to the pursuit of joy. Well, this was mind-boggling to me and true. The Joy Project tells the story of the world, a God-saturated world that is on its way to becoming radiant with joy. It is the story of Christianity. The supremacy of God and the satisfaction of the human soul are the two great realities we cannot escape. I used to think that God was in pursuit of the first and I was in pursuit of the second. And that was the greatest problem to be overcome. I don't see that way anymore. No. God is in pursuit of both. My problem, is it yours too? Was not that I wanted a satisfied soul. My problem was that I couldn't taste and see the all-satisfying God. And to my amazement, I discovered that the story of Christianity is the story of God's pursuit of my joy. His quest, at the cost of his son's life, to replace my blindness with a sight of beauty and to replace my craving for poison with a taste for his all-satisfying perfections. This is Christianity, the joy project. It is God taking action in this universe and in our world and in our lives in order that we might experience joy. I will bring these to my holy mountain and they will be joyful. This is God's aim, right? So we have been pulling a lot of thoughts from the last night that Jesus was together with his disciples, you know, John chapter 13 to John chapter 17. Kind of camped out in John 15 a good bit. So we've moved through this series. In that last evening together, joy was a major topic. Jesus brought it up. A lot, right? Look real quickly and remember this with me. John 15, 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. A little while later in the evening, John 16 records, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Can you just hold on to that phrase? I'm not going to unpack that, but just what a a healthy thing for you and I to have within arm's reach all the time. You will have sorrow, but that sorrow will turn into joy. Joy, See, because God's after that. that. That's not like, hey, maybe for some of you guys, joy is in the future. No, no. In God, we are a joy project. Our fallen, broken, difficult world and all that we are in it, God's intention is to invade that and to bring joy into us. So yes, sorrow 
does come. Affliction, suffering does come. But God's intention is for that to give way to joy. Verse 23, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Till now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. And a little while later in the evening, Jesus intercedes for his disciples and his future disciples. And John 17, verse 13 says, but now I, Father, I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world. Why? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. All right. You could not have walked away from that last meeting with Jesus with anything less than the idea that, wow, our joy is a big deal. He mentions it multiple times. So much so, John, who was in that meeting with Jesus, when he writes 1 John, which is decades later, decades later in his life, he says this. This is how he opens his epistle. Verse 1 of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, and concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father was made manifest to us. Right. So he starts off. And if you hear trying to to work through the idea that is, is Jesus anything more than a principle, an idea, the ultimate human being, something that we just believe in, but he didn't really exist. Oh, no, no. The testimony of those who were eyewitnesses, he actually sat among us. We hugged him. We sat with him. John leaned back on him while they had that last meal. But look what he says in verse 4. We are writing these things. Why? So that our, and some translations say, your joy may be complete. So for John, this was no small thing on that evening together, that last evening together. He saw joy was vital and critical and important. To Jesus. Tony Reinke in his book, The Joy Project, he says, what if I told you that someone else was more concerned for your joy than you could ever be? What if this person has been planning your joy since before you were born? Would you believe me? Or would you write me off as a well-meaning but ignorant religious optimist? And everybody just conclude that, of course, of course, joy is the ultimate great end to which our lives are, are aimed. Why don't, why don't we just not conclude that? Well, probably because a lot of us are seated here right now, either having walked through a brief season, walked through and continue to be in a very long season where it just doesn't feel very joyful, does it? But I just grabbed you on the way out of here today and I said, hey, just, just give me one word to describe the last two or three years of your life. What would you say? Some people would say, difficult. That's what would come to mind. Surprising. Disappointing. Sad. Filled with conflict. A roller coaster. I don't, I don't know what word. I mean, think for a second. What, what word would you actually use to describe what you've walked through, what you've experienced in the real spaces of your life? It, it might not be joy. 
right? It might not be, that might not be the first word that comes to mind for us. And so therefore we can start getting out of the habit of thinking God is after our joy. God is working in such a way. Oh yes, we started this whole thing with the aim is ultimately God is after his glory. But somehow that's not at war with our joy. God is after our joy. Joy is a feature for him. Jesus, Jesus didn't mention a lot of stuff on that last night together with his disciples. Do you think about that? It's a lot of things. Last evening together, he didn't even bring them up. He brought joy up quite a bit. The Apostle Paul brought joy up a lot, right? Paul said this, and this is kind of, you want to understand, hey, what's the church after? Well, we are after glorifying God, but that does not mean we're not concerned about our joy. Paul said this to the Philippians when he was, remember Paul praying through that, hey, I'm praying about whether to go on and be with Jesus or to stay here any longer than serve with you guys. He says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy. Why am I doing this? For your progress and your joy. Right, so when we read about joy, you know, again, we can't take a beeline to joy. We just can't decide this one. Just, let's just run directly to joy. Let's just get joy. Joy is a byproduct. Right? What you get when the Cinnabon folks load up all these ingredients, they combine ingredients and then they add heat. And next thing you know, Throughout the stinkiness of the airport, there is this wonderful smell traveling, right? And that's, that's us in this world. But what exactly are these ingredients to joy? And a number of years ago, I came across a book, a secular book, uh, by a guy named Darren McMahon. It's a book called Happiness. It was a history of happiness. He studied down through the ages what people were after in order to find happiness. He says, I have chosen to focus on representations of the term and concept as these have been developed over time. The changes we shall see have been dramatic. So much so that the happiness of yesterday bears only a scarce resemblance to the happiness of today. All right, just think for a second. Think about your grandparents for a second. Very different, weren't they? Especially those of you who are older, who lived through Great Depressions and World War II. Um, they're the ones, by the way, they're the ones who built all the houses that are too small for us today. Right, the ones that we're all tearing down right now and building something else in their place. Right, Gina and I, the first house we owned was about a thousand square foot house, had two bedrooms in it. We had one child and immediately moved up. And, of course, we had heard stories while we were living there about the people across the street. It's like, yeah, that was a family of four used to live right there. And it's like, oh, really? I don't think that's going to work for us. And so all over the place is us going, you know, to improve our lot in life, it needs to look like this. And it doesn't look like what it looked like for generations before us. Right, but by the way, I think that's true spiritually. I think it's true in the history of happiness in the church world. Some of you guys have been in the body of Christ long enough to recognize at some point, at some point, some guy would sound like he is right on target when he stands in a pulpit and he passionately looks at you and he looks at your life and he points out to you, God is not interested in your happiness. He is interested in your holiness. Can I get an amen? Yeah. 
Listen, this is a fault of all of us who teach and preach. We want to make a point so badly we're willing to use this other biblical point as a jump-off point. And, and by the time we're done, we'll crush this idea to promote this one. Because that guy should have been realizing, but God is interested in your happiness. God didn't set up this tension between holiness and happiness as though they're rivals. You can have one or the other. All right, so Christians, you can be holy, dead, serious, sober, you know, about the kingdom of God, or you can be trivial and happy. You got to make your choice, okay? Are you a serious follower of Jesus? And this is what these messages would sound like. But the same John 17 passage uh, that says, Father, sanctify them in the truth, right? That word sanctify is the New Testament word for holy. Father, make them holy in the truth is the same prayer that Jesus prayed when he said that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Listen, so whatever you and I have set up at some point in the Christian universe, it would, it would not have been uncommon to be in an atmosphere where the, the words of the kingdom are being used. There's, a, there's some kind of songs being sung in celebration of the grace of God and these future promises are being made. But, but holiness looked more like hair buns and appropriate behavior and externals and what kind of clothing you wore and what you sounded like. Oh, and by the way, the person hawking that holiness could look like they've been sucking lemons for days. And yet they still qualify to talk to you about holiness. Can, can I just say, and listen, this zings me. Uh, I, I am not as joyful as I should be based on what I know about God. I don't know, I don't know what your grief is before God. I don't know what you do in private that nobody sees, but God sees it. And you're kind of like, uh, and I don't know what categories you have for the really big sins. I don't know which ones you have, right? Somebody out there, somebody seated near you, somebody in your small group, you're going to find out. They're committing one of those really big sins. You know, the ones that you think are really big. I read this word and I find a God who is so powerful, so amazing, so sovereignly connected to his universe making promise after promise after promise after promise and engaging our lives, giving us the Holy Spirit to work in us from the inside out. And I find a long list of reasons for incredible joy. And then I look at me and I think, why do you smell like an airport? I'm not sure. Listen, I... I don't have any problem sitting down to counsel you with whatever issue you got going on because I I don't have to live in your category of sin to be humbled by my own. To recognize I fall short in a category that... So can I just put joylessness at the top of a list for Christians? Not just pornography or whatever else is going on in your world. Oh, you heard somebody smoke dope the other day. Oh, man. Man, let's talk holiness, Miss Hairbun. Because you look like you hadn't gotten around joy in decades. You look like you got a list of rules that you want everybody to keep, but there's no joy in you. 
hardly can even sing and dance before God. You're just here doing duty. And this is a, this is a joy issue. And it's a problem. And it's not unusual in the body of Christ. Martin Luther, uh, he had a collection of letters he had written to folks throughout his time of ministry. He wrote one particular letter to a young prince who was going through kind of a depressed period of his life. So Luther writes to him and he, he writes this way. And he reveals something about himself when he says this. He says, I advise your grace as a young man to be merry, to ride, hunt, and keep good company who can cheer your grace in a godly and honorable way. For loneliness and sadness are simple poison and death, especially in a young man. No one knows how it hurts a young man to avoid joy and cultivate solitude and melancholy. Joy and good humor in honor and seemliness is the best medicine for young men, yea, for all men. I, listen, I, who have hitherto spent my life in mourning and sadness, now seek and accept joy whenever I can find it. We know, we now know, thank God, that we can be, listen, merry with a good conscience and can use God's gifts with thankfulness inasmuch as he has made them for us and is pleased to have us enjoy them. I thought your grace might be so foolish as to think it a sin to be merry, as I have often done and still do at times. Your grace should be joyful in all things, inwardly in Christ and outwardly in God's gifts, for he gives them to us that we may have pleasure in them and thank him for them. Some of us need to lighten up and laugh a little bit more and find things that we enjoy and be able to celebrate them. And everything that you celebrate doesn't have to sound like, please stop giving these answers in your small groups. I know small groups start this week. Can we think outside the box a little bit? Everything worth celebrating doesn't start with, I read my Bible and I prayed. It could be the lasagna you ate yesterday. Do you think God's got a problem with you eating that and going, oh my gosh, unbelievable. Right, do, you, do I recognize that the ability for Cinnabon to be noticed by me in a pleasurable way is a gift from God? That he gave me a nose to smell and he made cinnamon and all that stuff cooked together smell a certain way? That there are things about life that are supposed to be sources of gratitude and celebration and enjoyment. And they may not sound like the most spiritual things, but you know. Trees and grass and mountain scenes, they're, they're God's creation for us to experience something of him. That, and so I love that Luther points out stuff. Hey, go for a ride. Go hunt. Be in good company with folks who can awaken in you this sense of joy. Historically, this is, this is a concern, right? You guys recognize that the church lives in a pendulum swing? It's way over here in some seasons, and then it travels and it gets closer. But in the middle, oh, now it's way over here in a different direction. And then it comes back. And some of us have lived long enough to where you actually have gone full gamut. 
Not that, that doesn't usually happen that fast. So it's hard to see the full pendulum swing in a lifetime. But you do have, like I said, you have this day of holiness that at some point happiness was frivolous, was for immature people, was for those who weren't serious about the kingdom of God and had a lot of behavioral modification attached to it, which, by the way, then brought us into the era of an emphasis on grace. And eventually we started using the term gospel centered. Right. We were trying to get away from that. Uh, but the pendulum keeps swinging, by the way. And, and today, beware that we don't live in that day. There's a few people here that are old enough to, to talk about those days. Most of us today, have the pendulum has swung into the direction of personal happiness. And there's not much of an idea remaining about holiness and how those two things attach. So don't, don't keep trying to solve the problem of yesterday because quite honestly, yesterday's problem isn't very present today. Today we have a different challenge on our hands, which is going to highlight some of the ingredients, right? When Jesus breaks out the ingredients of joy, listen to what he says in, in John chapter 15, verse 7. There, there's a lot of to-do in here. Right? Because discipleship involves actions. We said there's an aim in discipleship. There's actions in discipleship. So when, when holiness gets lost, a lot of times holiness is about bringing us in contact with God in a particular way. So when that gets lost, because it's, it's all just about what my construction of personal happiness is, and I'm not really worried about following something that God said, or being yoked by that, and, and by the way, don't put that on me. Right, All that language could be extracting the ingredients that make Cinnabon smell the way they do. You're going to end up cooking with cabbage. And you know what that smells like, right? (laughs) John 15, verse 7. Last evening together, Jesus says, If you abide in me, you do that. And my words abide in you. Then ask, right? Go ahead, you guys. Ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As a father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things... These things, what I just said to you, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things, here are the ingredients, these things, a measure of this, a little bit of that, a cup full of that, and add this. Why mix all that together? So that my joy can find its way into your soul. And so if I just broke those ingredients down, right, just, and I don't want to unpack any of these. There are, there are these, there's an abiding sense, right, for joy to become full in us. There, there is a sense, Jesus says, abide, hang out with, be in contact, be under the influence, have a conversation. That's what that word abide means when you see it in scripture. Dwell with, don't be so distant, removed, distracted. Just be among me, be with me, abide. If you abide in me and my words 
abide in you. They hang out in you. They interact with you. They're part of your meditations. When you daydream and you wander, you ponder, you think about things that God is revealing to you. And that's, that's in your heart. Abide. And then he throws in that prayer dimension, which I think is just a, uh, an extreme tool of abiding in him. Ask. Abide in me and let my words abide in you and then ask, right? Well, asking is communing with God. It's having a conversation with God. It's talking to God about where I am right now, what's going on in my life. It's daily bread. It's, it's God, move a mountain. It's God, interact with my soul. From the depths of my soul, I cry to you. This is all prayer. It's letting God dwell in the real spaces and the real events of our lives. That's what abiding in prayer is. And then he turns around and throws in something else in the ingredients. Fruitfulness. My father is glorified when you bear much fruit. When suddenly from your life, what emerges is something new. Something that wasn't you. Something that I've worked into you. A new sense of change. And character, it's something that didn't characterize you before. Now it begins to characterize you. Listen, there is, there's its own built-in joy. If you, if you have walked through a season where God has changed you, and you've gotten to a place where you say, I used to be, but not anymore. That thing used to dominate my life. But man, that's been decades now. It doesn't touch me anymore. But you remember what a wrestling match it was. I mean, there's encouragement in that, Right? When you hear people that, that are going on a diet and they're like, they start off, I got to lose 125 pounds, man. I got, I guess got a lot of weight to lose. Uh, and then they tell you in the first, you know, little period of time here, I've lost 35 pounds. Listen to them say it that way. It's encouraging, isn't it? Because you were stuck at this weight for so long and something came to you that announced you can change. You don't have to be that any longer. You can be 35 pounds less. And if I can be 35 pounds less, I can be 50 pounds less. I'm, I'm on my way. It's encouraging, isn't it? The same thing God does in us as he transforms our character. We go from one degree of glory to another, one place of faith to another. It's a transformation. It doesn't always happen super quickly, but it's happening in our lives. So as we bear fruit is a means of the aroma of joy beginning to come off of our lives. And then this last thing that is there, he highlights, is if you keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments. There's an ingredient in the Cinnabon recipe of joy called obedience. Obedience. Obedience is where something becomes the thing that I'm yielding to. That's what obedience is. Something becomes the thing I'm yielding to. I may have wanted to do this. I may have always done that. This might be my instinct. I go in that direction every time. Oh, but God comes along and gives me something else and arrests, okay, am I going to obey this or keep doing that? And Jesus says, okay, here, here's the ingredients. Why did I say these things to you? Why did I highlight obedience on our last night together? Because it's a means of my joy in you. Like, you remember Jesus has this intense conversation with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And keep it real. Right, we know this going in because of the scriptures have informed us of this. Jesus Christ, for the joy of set before him, endured the cross. 
So there is, a, there is an anticipated joy in that moment that doesn't quite sound like, because I'm happy in the Garden of Gethsemane. As a matter of fact, it sounds so intense and so difficult. Even the Son of God, who he knows the game plan, he is going to pray this prayer. Father, if it's possible, could this cup pass from me? Have you ever pondered that thought? The Son of God, he can hear, feel, sense the mounting weight of God's judgment and wrath against sin is now being prepared to finally be poured out in its fullness. He senses that. And he responds and asks, could we do this any other way? Do you get that the Son of God, do you notice here, the Bible doesn't have to say that. It doesn't even have to report that. Wouldn't it be cooler if Jesus just kind of said, Garden of Gethsemane, let's roll. Wouldn't that be cooler, you know? That's, yeah, that's our Jesus. He's in the garden. These drops of blood are mixed with his sweat pouring off of his head. He looks up. Let's roll, boys. Bring it on. No, he asked, is there another way this could happen? And then he says something incredible, isn't it? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Why did he do that? For the joy that was set before him. He knew on the one hand that there is an agony that is about to take place. And I don't know if you mix into that moment, if you dial in to that setting in that moment, you would have encountered something that felt happy. But it was anticipating happy for the joy that was set before him. He endured. Endured. That's the word used. Endured. The cross. Listen, these things, they, they aren't merely Christian duty. Right? They, they are they're an expression. They are a means from God. These ingredients that God gives us as we abide in, as we bear fruit and undergo change in God, as we obey whatever God says next, whatever he says next. Right, just think in all the spaces of your life where it's hard, where there's a conflict, where there's a people involved, and you don't want to do X, Y, or Z. You just don't want to do what's hard. And, and there's something from God in that moment that just says, obey. Well, can I buy into the Savior's model that when he sat in Gethsemane with the weight of my sin and yours mounting upon him and the judgment of God, he saw joy in obeying God. And you and I don't want to go have a hard conversation. Relate to somebody who's difficult. Do something that's hard. God says, oh, I'm after my joy being in you. And obedience is a characteristic of joy. George Mueller was a man in England who had formed quite a number of orphan care facilities and he walked in incredible faith and just trusted God to provide for the thousands of children that he took care of 
And there was, there was no way for this man to be able to adequately provide for these kids. He just, he just walked in faith. He just was a man full of faith. And God used him incredibly. And there's a little story about his life that just, it is so blessed me to, to hold on to because it's, it's about this joy of a man who felt the pressures and the weights and the demands and the uncertainties that he faced every day. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, while I was staying at Nailsworth, it pleased the Lord to teach me a truth irrespective of human instrumentality, as far as I know, the benefit of which I have not lost, though now more than 40 years have since passed away. Right, don't, don't read that too fast. Here's a man who simply says, there was, this, there was this one particular encounter with God that I'm still talking about 40 years later. It's not, and then listen, no, no problem. Hey, it wasn't a class he took at seminary that, you know, was 18 weeks of this or that. It wasn't a book that he read over two months. It, it was a meeting with God. He sat in the presence of God and God chose for that moment to impart something to him that stuck to him and clung to him. 40 years later, it's still making a mark on him. Listen, don't ever overlook your prayer closet. And what God might exchange with you. This is what abiding is. Abiding is somebody just hanging out with Jesus. Just having conversation. Just downloading the day. And there are moments where God begins to interact with you in that exchange. That put profound marks on you and you will never be the same. Do not overlook that. I love that we come to service. I love that we gather. I love that we do things in fellowship and there are meetings and conferences that we can go to. But... This guy's not talking about, man, I remember that conference 40 years ago. Incredible lesson. The band was unbelievable. He's, that's not what he's saying. I, was just, I don't even know if there was human agency involved, he said. I was just having a conversation with God. Listen to what he says, though. The point is this. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit believers. I might seek to relieve the distressed. I might, in other ways, seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world. And yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all this might not be attended to in a right spirit. In other words, you might have a lovely, holy hair bun and can say a lot of the right words, but you smell bad. When you go into the kitchen... You got way too much broccoli in your 
recipe. And that's what we smell. And so here we could be this morning. I love George Mueller's. This has been so helpful for me through the years. Because we, we, can, we can fall in love with ideas that sound like, okay, Christian, hey, this is, this is how you should start your day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. We'll make a song out of it. Um, so it's almost as though even, you know, like today, say, so you attended a service today, check, right? You know, I listened to a message. I read my devotional reading. I read this book. I read this Bible passage. How many of you guys can recognize that's different than whether your soul is happy? I read a lot of stuff. And my soul, it sat here when I picked it up. And then when I was done, it was still sitting in the same place. So what I loved about George Mueller's thought here was, you know, the, the goal, the goal that God is after in us, he's, he's got a joy project going on. He wants my soul to move from all the darkness, all the confusion, all the sin entanglements, all the noise and threats of the enemy and people. And he wants my soul to find something in him so much bigger and more effective that it moves toward joy. It relocates toward joy. He actually wants us to have something and experience something. Remember Jesus reaching out to the crowds? He saw the crowds. He called upon them and he said, come to me, come to me. All of you who are wearied, beat up, weighed down, struggling in life, take my yoke upon you and learn of me and what? You will find rest for your soul. See, he didn't just say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Have your daily devotions, check the box. No, no, no. He, he wanted us to find something as a result of that. Find rest. And here in this passage in John 15, this aroma that God is after is, hey, when you put these ingredients into your life, all right, I'm putting in this and I'm putting in this and I'm putting in this. And by the way, I'm going to turn the oven up to 350. And then this aroma is going to come off of your life. It's going to be the byproduct of these things. I'm after the smell of joy. And I want you to smell it. I want you to know it's present. I want it to overrule and override the other noisy, stinky smells in your personal airport. And for you to, to know, oh, you, you smell the joy? I, I pray and hope. That's why, that's why our Sunday mornings should be obnoxious celebrations. Because singing from the heart is, is an expression of joy. So when we sing casually, we don't sing at all. We, we don't have a means. Of, it's because it's there's just not enough joy pressure built up inside of us that won't just kind of come out in us and fill the room with an atmosphere. So this morning, here's what I want us to pray this morning. I don't know, I can't know where everybody is right now. But you and I get to a place, especially in it when it comes to emotions and moods and attitudes, we can get to a place however we got here. You had a bad childhood, you've had a bad few years, some of us, if we listen to your story, we'd say, man, I don't know what I'd be like. 
I'd be totally worse than you. But, but you get to a place where you just all of a sudden you just kind of set up shop there. You drive your tent pegs down in the ground. You build your tents. And it just kind of becomes you. So I don't know. What, what's become you? Lethargic, unmotivated, angry all the time. Conflicted, easily bugged. Stuff gets under your skin. One person in here, smile well this morning, but you're going home. You won't look like the church version on Tuesday. All right, so what if we all could sit like George Mueller and say, okay, this is where my tent pegs are. Joy is over there. I don't just want to hear a message about that over there so that I now know where joy is. Thank you very much. That's, it was very helpful, Keith. Thanks for pointing out that there is such a thing as joy and it's parked over there. Now, I, George Mueller, like, says, I, I want to do whatever I can in this moment to find my soul in that. Happy in the Lord. How do I, how do I move from here to there? Right, I'm not offering you any shortcuts today, although I think prayer and just meeting with God can, can bring amazing moments to us. But I do have to ask you this. Are, are, are you willing to pull up your tent pegs? Are you willing to let God give you a different version of you? Whatever that's been. A version that you would instead feel like, hey, I kind of get that George Mueller guy's thought. Yeah. Make it my business every day to find my soul happy in the Lord. So let's stand up together. Let's ask the Lord to move us to a new address, to a new experience, to a new place in our lives. Father, we are not here, Lord, even though it could be our habit, to be in places where your word is available, your presence is abiding. But Lord, we are not here just to check a box off this morning that we attended. We read our Bible. I prayed today. Lord, I would rather know, has my soul moved to a happier place? Have you invaded and come so near to me that you said things and revealed things about yourself? That your word came alive in such a way, Lord, a, a more lively way inside of me than anything else I've heard. Any threat I'm experiencing, any breakdown that's going on right now, any deficiencies and struggles. Your word drowned them out with a revelation and a promise and a hope that moves my soul to a happier place. God, thank you for helping us remember this morning. Our joy matters to you. Not just interested in us memorizing Bible passages and doing duty. God, you are after our joy. So, Father, right now, would you 
by your Holy Spirit. Would you, would you find us right now? Find us with our tent pegs. felt led to pray for unhappy disciples at home where there is more of an odor of controlling and complaining than there is of joy in their home setting. Lord, an atmosphere of anger and irritability easily pushed over the edge and angry. Or maybe for some there is disconnection and distance. Tent pegs driven in the ground long ago, stopping the investment of life in others even in our own homes. Oh, Lord, I pray for every person who would feel like they're not in a good place at home. God, would you this, this morning, would you, would you give us grace to pull up our tent pegs? God, to come into agreement with you, to have our hearts awakened that there's a God who wants joy in our lives. I gotta be ready to travel. God's looking to move me. And God, I want to go where you're going. So this morning, I just, Lord, I'm just pulling up my tent pegs. My tent pegs of irritability. My tent pegs of complaining and criticizing. Just pulling that up, Lord. Pray for unhappy disciples in the church. Or to be around some disciples is to be around criticism and conflict animosity for some it's to smell boredom and disengagement not a happy soul delighting in experiencing God's nearness and revelation but just uh, whatever here, but not really super delighted. Uh, Lord, this morning, Lord, for every person right now saying, yeah, that sounds a little bit like me. Well, would, you, would you reach down? Pull up the tent pegs. Would you reach down right now and say, God, I, I'm, I'm ready to move, Lord. I'm not going to stay here any longer. I, I hear that you want joy and you want me to be in a setting of fellowship where there is joy in my life. People walk away. They don't walk away with a scowled-looking complaint. They walk away with a celebrating joy that's invaded my space. What I want to pray as well this morning for some here. Lord, joy has been rather difficult. This has been a dark and disappointing season of life. Afflictions have abounded. Suffering has been frequent and hard to know what to do with. And Lord, there are some whose circumstances are not 
external difficulties. They are, they are physiological difficulties. Well, there are some here this morning who struggle in their mood to overcome discouragement and depression. God, we, we pray, Lord, we need grace, Lord, because you are after our joy and there's a lot in the way of that joy. Lord, and for some here, Lord, may that not be a guilt that they leave here today with, Lord, for their battle is a unique one. Lord, they need grace from you for the unique place they find themselves where joy seems so distant from them. Lord, may, may this place be a house that understands and cares and supports those who struggle uniquely to find joy. Lord, we are after this, and we pray for this together. We are after the aroma, Lord, the Cinnabon-like experience. When you drive down Veterans Highway and you pass this place, people of God are here. God, would you fill this place and fill the surroundings, fill the airport around us, The sweet aroma of joy, Lord. Joy is in this place. There is a joy here among us that has come to us because of you, by your grace, and for your glory in our experience. Lord, for that we are so thankful. In Jesus' name. Hey, can I ask? I know I'm digging around in a category that's a pretty significant category. All right, so what if you're here this morning and you're really just not happy and you're struggling? You know, that can be hard to tell other people. So here, I'm going to ask you to come and receive prayer. That could be really hard to respond, couldn't it? But can I just tell you that I don't think you can look around this room and see one face of another person here who hasn't gone through moments when joy has been lacking. Lord, please do something to help me. That's all over the room. You can get in line behind me if you'd like. So if you need a George Mueller moment, perhaps, perhaps someone's just going to pray for you and God's going to meet you in an encounter with you in the next few minutes that's going to do something beyond anything you've heard in this message. Just the Holy Spirit coming near to you and, and putting his hands and his power upon something going on in your life right now. You take that from here. Maybe decades from now, you'll be saying, man, there was this one meeting at Lakeview Christian Center. I was really struggling and God met me. And so if that's where you are, would you, would you go ahead and just, just come on up and find a place to pray? And guys will come find you and pray with you and, and help you through that season and see God meet you. Let's take some joy with us. Let's just not believe joy exists somewhere out there in the Christian universe. Let's, let's get it. Amen? Amen. All right. You guys come pray or you're dismissed if you're not coming to pray.